0: Dot com.
1: The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Antony Reich.
2: Antony Reich, Bokotov, good morning. How are you? Bokotov, I am also jealous of what
0: not knowing who
1: Billie Jean King is, I have to tell you. Um, I just wanted to go back to a story that we spoke about yesterday when we discussed the incapacitation on the fact that the High Court has decided to Uh, grant an injunction to delay the implementation of this law. But I didn't explain why the actual challenge was brought to the Mm. court, and I apologize for omitting that. But the challenge is based on the fact that this incapacitation law refers to one individual. It is clearly targeted to protect one person being Prime Minister Netanyahu, and that is really the basis for which this challenge is brought because they feel the the challengers feel that it is not valid to implement a law when it is clearly targeted at one individual person. And the court seems to have accepted that it is targeted at one individual person to try to improve the situation of Prime Minister Netanyahu. The court hasn't, however, accepted that that is valid or invalid. In other words, the fact that there might be a law, I mean, we have another example, the Dairy law, which has been, uh, which has been proposed in order to allow Ariadne to assume his position, the, the proposed position of uh, Minister of Health and Minister of uh, the Interior. Mm. The court hasn't accepted that. But here is the double-edged sword. The double-edged sword is that we already have on our books a law which was clearly targeted at an individual, which is called the Egal Amir Law. That was a law that was implemented by a majority of 62 members of the Knesset in December of 2001, and the law says as follows, that the parole board is prohibited from recommending a pardon or shortening the time in prison for a murderer of a prime minister. So even though it doesn't mention Yigal Amir, we only have one murderer of a prime minister, and that is Yigal Amir. So even though the law itself doesn't mention his name, it is called the Yigal Amir law for obvious reasons. And so members of the right wing of the Knesset have said, if the court upholds the fact that it is not legal to implement a law that is clearly targeted at one person, then Yigal Amir should be released. That is the double-edged sword that we are facing right now on this issue of the incapacitation.
2: But isn't it really about not one person but one position? And isn't it very relevant, given the fact that that he can be incapacitated, and there can be uh, things that uh, that uh, go wrong? Um, It is relevant,
1: except for the fact that it is clearly targeted, targeting a particular set of circumstances, rather than something Uh, which might generically be possible. In the future, to a future holder of this position, this is clearly targeted at the current set of circumstances. We'll allow the court in September. Uh, uh, eleven members of the uh, High Court of Justice, eleven judges who will sit on that particular panel in September, will allow them to make their views known uh, and to make their decision. I'm sure that the listeners out here um, who are listening. Have their own views on this as well.
2: Mm, mm, I have no doubt. I'm not even sure I want them, though. Um, and uh, yep, I don't want your views on three four five one nine or 0618951019. one oh one nine. All right, Anthony. Let's uh, talk about some of the other news in Israel. The situation along the Israel's border with Lebanon remains extremely tense. What's the latest here?
1: Well, um, we've already spoken about the fact that there have been a number of incidents along Israel's border with Lebanon over the past uh, month or few weeks, even a month or so, um, with um, Hezbollah trying to encroach the land border, putting up tents in the Hardov area. um, And now the latest is that apparently Lebanon has mobilized naval forces against Israeli boats, which it considers to have violated Lebanese territory, ne- Lebanese naval territory. Right. Now, there was this agreement that was struck um, with the help of um, the uh, U.S. special envoy Amos Hochstein, um, where a naval border was drawn because of the um, conflict over the gas fields which are currently being exploited in the Mediterranean and which gas field falls on which side of the naval border. And Amos Hochstein, the U.S. special envoy, did help to resolve that issue. And it seems to be holding at the moment, except for the fact that um, the uh, Lebanese feel that Israeli boats have encroached upon um, Israeli waters. And they actually did deploy some Lebanese naval forces against these Israeli boats. But um, if we take it a little bit further, there was also a report in a Lebanese newspaper that reported that Amos Hochstein would visit Beirut in order to help to try to demar- demarcate a land border with the, between Israel and Lebanon, which is something which has been um, out there for quite a number of years already decades in fact without any um proper resolution to this a lot of um, um, a lot of disagreement over the land border that exists between israel and lebanon and what's more um it's been quite fascinating to see even over the course of the last week or so some of the things that have been happening in lebanon because there have been some issues over um, uh, exactly what's going on there, and in fact, some Arab countries issued warnings to their citizens to stay away from Israel. The United Arab Emirates, the uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Bahrain all issued urgent warnings over the weekend to their citizens to stay away from Lebanon without explaining exactly why they want their citizens to stay away from Lebanon. There was speculation that Israel might be uh, planning some sort of a sustained attack against Lebanon and that citizens of those countries might be in danger. There is also a lot of conflict, internal conflict in Lebanon. Lebanon, for example, doesn't have a president at the moment and it hasn't had a president for a number of months already due to the fact that they are simply unable to agree upon a president, uh, uh, to, to be able to elect a president according to the rules that have laid down been laid down about how to elect a president. So. There is a lot of internal turmoil within Lebanon, and even this morning I read a report that said that certain Hezbollah operatives have been fighting amongst themselves in Lebanon, and quite a number of them were killed during these battles um, as a result of disagreements, the internal disagreements in Lebanon. So even though things are very, very tense for Israel, and we, we spoke about the fact that the chief of general staff actually made a tour of the northern border with Lebanon in order to assess Israel's readiness for any conflict that might arise from there. But really, a lot of this conflict arises from the fact that there is internal conflict at the moment uh, within Lebanon, and so we're expecting Amos Hochstein, hopefully to come to Lebanon, not to try to sort out their internal conflict, but hopefully to help demarcate, to start a process, I would suggest of trying to demarcate a land border between Israel and Lebanon. Um, Of course, Amos Hochstein also very involved in the normalization talks with Saudi Arabia. So um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out.
2: Mm, Indeed. The Australian government reported to its parliament yesterday that it has decided to refer to the West Bank as the Occupied Palestinian Territories. Why the change
1: well um, the change seems you, to be Anthony, because before you, sorry before
2: to- Anthony, can i stop you there before you before you actually answer that can you give context to it because we throw around these terms as though everybody understands west bank occupied territories uh, uh you know uh, all, all of these different names but there's a, there's a real history and context to it. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But can you just give a little bit of an overview to for listeners to understand what this area actually is, even before we talk about what the Australians have decided to do?
1: Um, I'm glad you put me on the spot, Howard, because um, it's going to give rise to a bit of a rant from my side. Oh, and good. I, I apologize in advance um, for ranting on this particular subject, but I did have a quiet rant to myself yesterday when <laughs> I read this, and I'm going to share my rant with you. So right um, the, the, I, I'm going to start with just the statement by the Australian Foreign Affairs Minister to the Parliament yesterday and then I'm going to go on my rant. Correct. So the Australian, um, the, the, what um, the Australian Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong said yesterday is that the Australian government considers Israeli settlements in the West Bank to be in violation of international law and as a result will return to using the term occupied Palestinian territories to describe the area of the West Bank. And more than that, she went on to say that the Australian government is strengthening its opposition to settlements by affirming that they're illegal under international law and a significant obstacle to peace. Mm, mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so now, let's put, let's put some context to that. In 1947, the United Nations sat to consider the Palestine Partition Plan where it was proposed that the Jews would receive a state on some of the area and that the Arabs would receive a state in the other part of this area that had been called Palestine up until that point under the British mandate. The word Palestine, the term Palestine, actually originates from the Bible Philistine. That's where the term comes from. It had no connection at all ever to A certain people or a certain Arab nation or a certain group of people. And certainly, when the partition plan in 1947 was proposed, there were no Palestinian people and there was no Palestine except for the fact that the British had chosen to use that term to describe this area under their mandate. As we will recall, for those of us who are around who have read about it, as we will recall, the Arabs decided – not to accept the plan, while the Jews decided to accept the plan. Now, if the Arabs had decided to accept the plan at that point, the Jews would have been happy to live in the area that had been demarcated by the United Nations to be the Jewish state. And it didn't include the so-called West Bank as we see it today, because that was the area that was proposed to the Arabs. They rejected it. Why did they reject it? Not because they didn't want that land. On the contrary, they wanted that land, plus they wanted the land that had been proposed to the Jews. And they thought it would be pretty easy just to overrun the Jews in the War of Independence and get back the land that the Jews had been given under the Palestine partition plan. So even though the Arabs didn't accept the plan, the Jews went ahead and declared a state in the area that the United Nations had proposed to be a Jewish state. And then we went through a a number of years of wars, including the War of Independence, and indeed the 1967 war, where the Arabs thought they would be able to overrun the land that the Jews had been allocated. And the 1967 war was designed as a war of protection rather than something where the Jews thought that they would be able to overrun the Arabs and would be able to claim land. And let's be quite clear that the West Bank, as we know it today, was not under so-called Palestinian uh, ownership up until 1967. That was Jordanian land. That was Jordan. Jordan actually even had uh, had uh, a possession of the East side of Jerusalem, there was no Palestine, there was no pa- reference to Palestinians. The Palestinians didn't come to the Jordanians and say, "Hey, we want this land for ourselves." That didn't exist. The Jordanians simply um, simply administered that territory, which was supposed to have been uh, an Arab country as put forward by the United Nations. So when Israel uh, preemptively struck? the Arab countries in 1967 and then took the West Bank under administration in order to protect Israel a little better than she was able to protect herself up until then. That was when the term, the West Bank, really came up. And I I do use the term West Bank because it also has a geographic context. The West Bank of the River Jordan, Mm -hmm. it's west and it's on the west side of the river. And I'm happy to use the West Bank, even though it certainly has undertones and connotations. People have politicized the term West Bank. I try to use it in a purely geographic context and so um, I don't mind using the term West Bank in order to describe this area that we're talking about. Now, if we look at the Australian term occupied Palestinian territories, it's certainly a territory. So I agree with that word. Is it occupied, although it was taken under military control by Israel, in the same way, for example, as Turkey has taken control over the northern part of Cyprus, or in the same way, for example, as Russia has taken control over Crimea. But we never talk about Turkish-occupied northern Mm. Cyprus Mm. or Russian-occupied Crimea or terms of that sort of nature for those countries, those areas where there has been military Uh, Control taken over a certain territory, but here in Israel, they choose to use the word occupied. And why Palestinian? Who are these Palestinians? Why is it not occupied Jordanian territory? Just for the sake of this argument, because actually it was taken from Jordan in 1967 in the war, in the six day war. So I rant over this because these are so politicized and with such a great deal of of political undertone and, and, and comment about what this really is. This is not occupied, and the Palestinian territories, we can argue the toss. I mean, Israel has accepted that, indeed, if there was to be a, a state alongside Israel's borders, that it would be called Palestine, a Palestinian state. We've accepted that. But, really, this land was taken from Jordan, and I don't think that we can really refer to it as occupied. It's all highly politicized and gives rise to my uh, blood pressure rising every time I I read, Uh, even though Penny Wong went on to say, of course, that Australia would remain a committed friend of Israel.
2: Very, very concerning because it really is just, it's just words, isn't it? It's just getting caught in a, in what is known to be or what is, what is expected um, of 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 uh, of anyone occupied territories, it's just something that just trips off people's tongues, but uh, but in fact it 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 really doesn't have meaning. And of course the question I keep asking is why uh, why was there no move towards a Palestinian state between 1948 and 1967, where this area was uh, occupied by Jordan and 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 no pressure either. No pressure. It was only when Israel took that area over that it became a
1: problem. So when you say that it's just words and it has no meaning, um, that might be true, and yet it's not. And the reason that it's not is because the reason that the Australian government have decided now to talk about uh, occupied Palestinian territories is to make a political point. It's not just words, and it has meaning. And the meaning is that this is a critical of Israel in every possible way
2: mm. very concerning indeed that is where we leave it it is 8 o'clock Anthony Reich thank you as always and a great rent indeed we'll catch you tomorrow morning at
0: 7.45 That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency your Israel property is in good hands Contact us at www.theblueagency.com.